0: Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Have you ever noticed that God is unconventional? He never quite works the way that we expect Him to work, but we find later, oh, actually your way was better. You know, we sing that song, your way is better, because it is. We find that God works in the best way. Oswald Chambers said if there was a better way to do it, that would be the way God would do it. But he always chooses the best way. His way exemplifies the greatest grace. It always highlights his incredible grace. And it always brings attention to his reality. His reality, because it tends to be that all other doors are closed, His reality and His goodness. God will, and this you're not going to like, but it's true, God will allow us to walk into perplexities, dilemmas, and desperate places. He will actually lead us, drop us off. Send us into these places. I think of John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000. And I think the disciples were like, can we leave? Can we leave? Can we leave? And I think Jesus said, go ahead. Go. I want you to go. And they're like, without you? Yeah, go across the other side of the lake. He sent them into the middle of the sea. Well, he sent every person home. I think Jesus had a last word for everybody who had come and eaten of the loaves and fishes. And so Jesus then goes up to the mountain to pray. The disciples, they're thinking, oh, we're going to get home before dark. And they're rowing and they're trying to get across to get home. And Jesus looks out from this mountain and he sees them stuck in the middle of the Galilee. And it says the wind was against them. The storm was against them. So what would you expect Jesus to do? Maybe to calm the storm from the mountain, right? He did that before on the boat, right? So what's he going to do? Did you ever think that he would walk on the water to the boat? Did you ever think that would be like, oh, this is the way of Jesus. So unexpected. Let me tell you this. The disciples didn't expect it. In fact, they screamed and said, it's a ghost. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. It's me. And they're like, oh. course, we know Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out. So Jesus says, okay, come on. And Peter goes out and he's walking towards Jesus. And then when he realizes, I don't walk on water, I don't do this kind of thing, and he took his eyes off Jesus, he sunk. But the main point is Jesus sent them out into that storm. He allowed uh, this to happen. Life is full of perplexities. Questions? Why? Why? It's full of dilemmas. I don't know what to do. And it's full of desperate places. There's nothing left. There's no hope left. Too often, rather than asking God for direction, we are fix-it women, right? We're going to fix it. There's a song that used to go that my kids used to listen to. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. You know, and we are fix it. You've got a cold. Take more vitamin C. And not only that, I found this other vitamin that you can take. You know, you, 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 you're having trouble with your husband. Here, I've got this book. It set others free in their marriage. Or listen to this podcast. You know, you're cold. Let me get you a sweater. You're thirsty. Let me get you a cup of water. You're hungry. Let me give you a great recipe. You know, there we are. We've got, we're fix it. We're fix, it's what we do as women, especially mothers. We're used to fixing all of it. (laughs) I hurt my leg. Okay, let's wash it out. Let's put the band-aid on it. Mommy will fix it. And now at this age, grandma will fix it. you know, my kids will call me up, Mom, I've got a problem. They call me for the problems. They call Brian to share the joys. (laughs) I'm a fix-it person. But when we don't have a solution to what is going on, to the perplexity or the dilemma or the desperate places, Too often, rather than just simply praying and asking God for direction, give me a word, give me a promise, give me something to do. Tell me, what's my next step? We are angry that he allowed life to happen. Does it matter that everybody else has been through this? Or thousands of other people have been through this? We're like, why me? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why is God always picking on me? Why? Why did you allow it? Or we conclude, well, this is it. I'm going to die. God brought me here just to kill me and to do me in. Must have needed a lot of humility and gave up on me. Or we resign to the situation. Well... Defeat, let's go home, let's not try anymore, let's not go on any further. None of these scenarios is the right scenario. It's not the right choice. Why not rather seek the Lord? Seek the Lord for a promise. Father, do you have a word for me? You know, When I'm going through a, a dilemma or something like this or a desperate situation, And sometimes I'll read my Bible that I don't get the promise. But I come to church with open ears. Lord, help me have the promise. I've been going through um, just this situation that kind of came up on Tuesday. And it really threw me. It just really threw me. Um, And I... Didn't exactly, I I just was like, Lord, why is this persisting? Why is this still going on? I thought this would be over. You know, I thought by this time, I don't know why all these songs are coming in. I I thought this would be over by this time. And we had our our class on the Holy Spirit on Wednesday night. And afterwards, we opened it up to a time of, of prayer And just waiting on the Lord. And sometimes people just will speak out a verse. And if it's the verse for you, then you take it to heart. And this guy spoke this verse from Proverbs. And it was, you know, trust in the Lord. God will cut off the slandering tongue. And God said, there you are. You wanted a promise. I'll deal with this. You don't have to deal with this. I'll deal with this. And, you know, I knew that verse was not for anybody else in that room. That was mine. Because the issue was slander. I'm so tired of the slander. God will deal with it. I don't have to deal with it. And I'm standing in that. And you know what my direction is? Don't answer it back. Don't defend yourself. Just give it to God. And that's that's it. That was my promise. But see, promises always come with a directive too. It's like God saying, I'll take care of it. You don't use your mouth. <laughs> you know, this is not for you to defend yourself or to talk about how much they're a slander. You know, could I just say, so and so is a slander? And the Lord's like, no. <laughs> Trust me. Trust me. Hi, Robin. This is a situation that we observe in 2 Kings chapter 3. And I will say, this is one of my favorite passages. I cannot tell you how many times God has met me in this very place, in this very chapter. I find there are certain chapters in the Bible that are like going back to your favorite restaurant and you know exactly what you want to order, right? Or you go back to your favorite restaurant, and you're like, oh, the food was so good last time. I'm going to try something new, knowing it's going to be just as good. And that's when you're in the chapter, maybe there's a new way of seeing it, or a different angle that the, that the Lord wants to take you in as you look at that place in the Bible. This is one of those for me. God always meets me here so we have the story of Jehoram, the son of Ahab, and he was the brother of Ahaziah. We read about Ahaziah in 2 Kings chapter one. He's the brother that died, he fell through the lattice. Now Jehoram is the king. He probably never knew he was gonna be king. It's like King Henry the never knew he was gonna be the king. It was supposed to be his brother. And then um, when his brother died, he was the king, or King George. Edward was supposed to be the brother. You're like, who are these people? Never mind. Um, and he, he has done this good thing. He's gotten rid of the sacred altar to Baal that his father had built. Sacred, what does that mean? It was off limits. It was untouchable. But he did get rid of the sacred altar to Baal. But he still persisted in the sense of the first king of Israel, which was Jeroboam, first king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, when he set up the calf in Bethel and one in Dan, and said, Israel, these calves are your God. They're the ones that delivered you from Egypt. And why did they set up this alternative form of worship? Because they didn't want the people of Israel going back to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at the temple that God has sanctioned. And they thought, if the people go back to Israel, they'll go back to the dynasty of David and we will have no claim to rulership. So they created this nationality all around the religion of worshiping the calf. And Jehoram persisted in that. Perhaps he persisted in that because of insecurity. But we know this, that he believed, and we will get a little to this, he believed in the Lord, and even felt like the Lord was leading him, but he didn't have faith in the Lord. And there's a difference there. So after the death of his brother, during the transition of leadership in Israel, Moab sees a weakness in the kingdom and decides at that time to rebel. They are tired of giving Israel 100,000 lambs a year and 100,000 lambs worth of wool. Say that fast. 100,000 lambs worth of wool. They're tired of it. No doubt they were giving the majority of the wool to Israel so that if they wanted a coat or something made out of wool, they had to buy it back from Israel. And once they gave 100,000 lambs, they had to, you know, mate their lambs even more. So Joram seeks, you might want to just answer it. Okay, Joram seeks, I don't mind because that's happened to me. So there is grace for whoever's phone that was, but I just always like, that's the good thing about having this watch. I just hit, you know, and then if it's he just keeps calling. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is, too, you silence your phone, and if you're wearing an iWatch, it starts ringing. You're like, no! Anyway, okay, long story. Yeah, sidebar, yeah. Like, I don't have any of those. Squirrel. So Joram seeks the assistance of Jehoshaphat as his father Ahab had to fight against Moab. Now, he probably sought the assistance of Jehoshaphat because Jehoshaphat had already defeated the Moabites and the Ammonites. The Moabites and the Ammonites had come in full force against the kingdom of Judah. When, again, talk about taking advantage. Jehoshaphat had been fighting in an alliance with Ahab and had been sorely defeated. In fact, Jehoshaphat had run for his life out of the battle and God saved him from it. I could go into that and I'd like to, but I'm resisting. Just want you to know, this is what Cheryl's resistance looks like. So he flees the battle and now the army of Judah, which once was a million Men strong is just decimated. And it's at this time that the army of Moab and the Army of Ammon, they join together as allies, and they come and they're coming through the Valley of Seir, which is near the Dead Sea, to fight against Israel. That's not that far from Jerusalem. It's not very far at All. It's maybe a day's march at the most. And they come and they tell Jehoshaphat: a multitude, more than the sand, is coming, and they're ready to attack Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat calls all the people of Israel together. He falls on his knees. He raises his hands and says, Lord, we have no strategy. We have no hope. This is desperation. But our eyes are on you. You're our only hope. And at that point, a prophet named Jehazael, who's out of the choir, stands up and says, you don't have to fight this. The Lord says, stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. You'll go in. God's going to deal with the enemy. And then Jehoshaphat speaks to the people and he says this, Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And so on that word from Jehoshaphat, they put the musicians in the front of the army, something you never do. And they march towards the Moabites and the Ammonites. And when they get to the Valley of Seir, they realize that God had gone before them. And the Moabites and the Ammonites, because of God, had turned on each other and killed every last one of them. And so they said they were three days in collecting the spoil spoil would be gold and silver and wine and um, the cattle and the lambs, all of that. So now he's asked the same Jehoshaphat who has a history of dealing with the Moabites to come and join him. Jehoshaphat agrees to help. And they are further assisted by Edom. The three kings set out. Moab was on the east side of the Dead Sea, what is now Jordan. It is a very, very dry place. The three kings with their armies, their horses, and their livestock, because you always took livestock with you, because that was your food. There were no refrigerators, right? There were no ice buckets. So you took them live and you, you slaughtered them during the, the time of your... Travels, So they're in a very barren and dry area, and they get lost. They've gone on this circuitous route, and they've wandered for seven days. Probably they were looking for water, a place to camp by water, but they couldn't find a place to set up camp by water. Not only are those soldiers thirsty, but the horses and livestock that are supplying the troops cannot survive without water. And as you know, a human being can only survive three to five days without water. They need water. This situation is desperate. King Joram, as we said, he believes that there is a God. He even believes that the Lord has told him to make an alliance with Jehoshaphat and Edom But when the thirst comes, when the desperation comes, he concludes then that the only reason that he had this directive to go against Moab was because God wanted to gather Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, and himself together to kill them. So King Jehoshaphat says, wait, (laughs) I think Jehoshaphat probably said in, in Hebrew, stop stressing he was stop that. Keep calm and ask for a prophet. Keep calm and ask for a word from the Lord. Don't you have a prophet? Jehoram doesn't know that there's a prophet. But one of his servants knows there's a prophet. And he knows that this prophet, his name, which is Elisha, he knows that he is the son of Shaphat. He knows the family, and he also knows that Elisha once served Elijah. That's what it means that he poured water on his hands. He served him even in the most menial tasks. And Jehoshaphat responds, the Lord is with him. The, the word of the Lord through him is good. It's good. So they find... Elisha. And Elisha's first response to these three kings who are desperate is, Jehoram, go seek the God of your fathers. Go see if Baal can help you. Go see if the calf can help you. You, you, go, you go to your gods and you see if, if they'll help you. But Joram insists that he is under the direction of the Lord, not Baal, not the calf god. In fact, Joram says he's called us together. Listen how he changes his story in front of a prophet to give us victory. Before, the Lord was going to kill him. Now that he's in the presence of a prophet, everything changes. You ever have that? Like, you know, they know you're a Christian, so they totally change their attitude. I I used to belong to Curves. And I remember I would go in there and there was one girl who was just talking about the most obscene things ever. And she happens to find out I'm a Christian. Um, It's a long story. I'm restraining myself. But she finds out I'm a Christian and every week after that, she comes in going, you guys, let's pray to St. Christopher today for da-da-da. Let's pray for this saint. And I'm like, she still doesn't quite get it, you know? (laughs) But she, she got very religious when she found out that I was a Christian and a woman of prayer. So Elisha proclaims, as the Lord God lives before whom I stand, before anything else, before any word that will come after this, he first makes it known that he is under the authority of God. And the certainty of his word is because he is one who always answers to the Lord and the Lord lives. I love this identity to say, look, I answer to the Lord. When people have problems, I just say, you know what? It's not my word. It's the word of God. I answer to the Lord. Elisha agrees to seek the Lord because of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is a godly king. And it's Jehoshaphat who always, we find through the scripture, wants a word from the Lord and trusts the word of the Lord. I think that Jehoshaphat was the sanctifying presence of those kings. Without Jehoshaphat, there was no assurance of victory. I I think of Joseph. Who the house of Potiphar was blessed because Joseph, this godly man, was in the house. And then later, the Pharaoh was blessed because of Joseph. Earlier, his father Jacob had been in the house of his uncle Laban, and Laban recognized that the blessing in his life was all due to the presence of Joseph. Uh, Sorry, Jacob. When we come to the New Testament, it's interesting because Paul says, "Don't let the non-Christian, um, don't let the Christian wife depart from her non-Christian husband just because he's not a Christian. But if he's willing to stay with her, let her remain. The same thing goes for a man. He's not supposed to leave his wife just because she's not a Christian. Let him stay because by their presence, the house will be sanctified." The house will be blessed. The attention of the Lord will be riveted on that house. So here we have Jehoshaphat, which is the sanctifying presence. Elisha then calls for a musician. And there is so much to explore here, and I'm not going to. This is resistance again, because I don't want to keep you longer than I should. But the power of music is so powerful. And the power of music has this quality that it makes you want to worship. And I believe that's why people worship the Beatles. And they worship, you know, Madonna, or they worship anyone who sings to them, whose words resonate with an experience that they've had. Right? We've all seen that. We see in... 1 Samuel 16:23, that when Saul had an evil spirit, David was called to play music to him so that the evil spirit would depart. Music is powerful. I know that at one point, Brian was going through a deep depression. It was because of a sickness that he had. And we just kept music playing in our house constantly, Christian music that reminded us that the Lord is real, that he's on the throne. So Elisha calls for this music, and he begins to prophesy. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you will not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet this valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a small thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Here is a promise that comes with a caveat. God says, I'll bring the water, but you need to dig the ditches. God will supply by unconventional means You won't see it coming. You won't see the conventional rain that satisfies thirst. You won't have a storm or wind that can blow the water in. No. God's going to work by an unexpected means. And he doesn't tell them by what means. He doesn't say you know what, it's going to come by the way of Edom and it's going to flood this valley. He doesn't tell them. And some of you may ask, well, what did happen? We don't know. God brought it. What if God just brought it miraculously, sent it straight from heaven to them? We don't know. We don't know. But God wants to work unconventionally where it cannot be done by men that we need God to intervene. Lord, if you don't come through, so that what? We realize, God, you're real. You love me. You care. We need those times because otherwise we begin to doubt. We do. There's a world that tells us everything has a material cause. So we need, we need these times of desperation. It's a small thing for God to provide water in the desert and to a large company and to all the animals. Think about it. God supplied water for Israel in the same wilderness for over a million people for 40 years. God's like, oh, I'm super good at this. One time they got it from a rock. God is so good, this is a small thing. But without the ditches being dug, they'll have only a flood with no way to drink. It'll be a waste of God's work. If they don't obey, God will still come through. But the water that God comes through with will be wasted. The next morning when the grain offering was being offered, something that was done before battles that we read about in 1 Samuel 13, suddenly water comes pouring down from the way of Edom. Unexpected. A flash flood. But they are prepared. They are not washed away by it. It is not wasted. They are prepared because they dug the ditches. So the water, instead of becoming a disaster, becomes a source of refreshment and of life. And this same water that is refreshment and life to Moab becomes deception and death. Because Moab looks at this valley and they see the reflection of the sun on these ditches and they think oh look at all that blood israel and judah and edom must have turned on each other remember that was their prior prior experience in second chronicles 20. ammon had turned on moab moab had turned on ammon and they had destroyed themselves so mount moab is saying look at this same situation. And so they mustered anyone they could because they really didn't have an army like they had had previously. So they got every man and they went into this valley and said, to the spoil. You see, they, they thought they could have the same experience that Jehoshaphat had. They thought, oh, this is what happens. <laughs> but No. Jehoshaphat's experience was because of God. I think of the trials you survive, and non believers are seeing it and they're thinking, oh, I'll just do what they did. Doesn't work for them. Works for us because we have the living God, because we're obeying his directives. I think about how the sea parted and Israel walked through on dry land. But wasn't the same for Pharaoh and his company, was it? Because they did not have the Lord God with them. So as Moab sees this, they go running in for the plunder, only to be defeated. Israel is victorious. So as we look at this story, we have to ask ourselves, what is my reaction to perplexity? What is my reaction to a dilemma? What is my reaction to a desperate situation? Am I more like Joram, Jehoram? Or am I more like Jehoshaphat? What am I doing when things get desperate? Am I saying, Lord, why? Do you want to kill me? Why are you allowing this? Do you resign to the situation? There's no hope. Might as well go home. I'm not going to try doing anything for the Lord again. Doesn't pay. Or do we choose to be like Jehoshaphat and seek a promise from the Lord? Lord, what do you have to say about this situation? What do you want to tell me about this situation? What is your directive for this situation? God has a specific word and promise that pertains to whatever you are going through. We gave you a smidgen of 2 Peter 1, 4. I want to give you 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, which says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So everything that pertains to life through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Partakers of the divine nature that you might have the favor of God that Jesus Christ had. He is the divine nature. So God has given us these promises, and now these promises become ours. All the promises of God are in Christ, and they are yes and amen, which means so be it, to the glory of God. Everything you need for life and godliness is found in the word of God There is a promise that pertains to every perplexity, to every dilemma, to every desperate situation, and every promise will come with a caveat. There's also a directive, not only a promise, but a directive. What is my part? God says, this is what I'll do, and this is your part. How do you get a promise? Like, Cheryl, how do I get one? That's right. You ask for it. Ask for a promise. Do you ever think like it's a bad situation to go, give me a promise? No. They, like ah. Ask for a promise. Ask. I love the promises of God. I, I have a promise that corresponds to every good work God's done in my life. There is a promise. Do you know I have a promise for each of my children? When I had my children, I'm like, give me a promise. (laughs) Give me a promise. I have a promise, and I pray it over each of my children every day. I have a promise. I stand on those promises for my children. You gave me this for this one. Ask for a promise. When my first daughter rebelled, I asked for a promise. I asked for a promise. God, and he kept his word. He kept his word. We can search the Bible. We can come to church with an expectant heart, expectant um, ears, listening ears. Maybe this will be my promise. We can seek out godly people. Even say, do you have a promise for me? I've had people come up, do you have a promise for me? I don't know, what's your name? You know? Do you have a promise? And sometimes it's like, that's crazy, because God gave me a promise today, and it's for you. I used to, as I was going through my devotions every morning, used to, um, I kept three by five cards, and I would write a promise on the card, put it in my pocket, and I was always ready to give somebody a promise. Do you have a promise? Ask for one. You have to ask. You have to search for one. You have to search. You have to do your legwork. They had to dig ditches. You have to search. You have to go after that promise. They had to find Elisha. The promise to be a blessing required cooperation. I believe that digging the ditches was the act of faith. I believe you. So I'm gonna prepare for the promise of God. You need to prepare for the promise of God. You need to act on it and prepare. God, you're gonna save my children. Therefore, I'm going to be kind, and I'm going to be loving, knowing that you've got this work. I will not tie up my daughter and stick her in a room and lock the door. (laughs) Brian told me I couldn't anyway. I'm gonna follow your directives. They had to dig ditches. There is preparation involved in every promise. We must be under the authority of the Lord's word. We must have a relationship with the Lord, like Jehoshaphat did. The promise came unconventionally, which means that we have to look for the fulfillment, not to come in the usual means, because sometimes we're so busy looking this way and the promise is coming from a whole different direction. Water was the promise, but it didn't come by way of rain or storm, but by an unexpected flood from an unexpected place. So what do we need? We need open hands, open hearts, open eyes, and open ears to receive the promise and to allow God To fulfill his promise to you. I think of Corey Tinboom, who, when she was still at um, the concentration camp, the Lord gave her and her sister the promise that they would be released. Betsy had these sparkles in her eyes and said, Corey, by the end of the week, we will both be released. We'll both have freedom. And Betsy died two days later. And the day after that, there was a clerical error, and Corey was released before the whole camp was put to death. The release, the promise of freedom came in two different ways. For Betsy, it meant full release and freedom in heaven. For Corey, it meant a clerical error, an unexpected error by which she would be released from this prison camp. God has a promise for you, no matter what the perplexity, the dilemma, or the desperate situation. So ask him for the promise. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Seek the promise. Prepare for the promise. Believe the promise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us these promises, We thank you because it's out of your generosity and out of your goodness and out of your desire to show us that you are living and alive and you are God who is working even today, that you are powerful and you are strong and you are compassionate and you are good. So, Father, in response to all that you are, let us as your daughters seek your promises and act upon your directives. In Jesus' name, amen.